Anna here. Did you know I have another podcast? And did you know it's all about failure? Well, at this point, you'd have to answer yes to both of those questions because I just told you. But my other show isn't just about failure. It's about failing your way to success. Yes, success. Because the most successful people are often just the people who've gotten up the most times after their failures. Don't believe me? Go download Fail Your Way to Success wherever you get your podcasts or go to failyourway.com for more info. Now back to the show. Hi, Anna David here. Welcome to the show. So glad to have you. If you're downloading this on the day it was released, Merry Christmas. This is a kind of amazing Christmas present. Now, I have you been, if you listen regularly, you know that I have been re-releasing old, extremely popular episodes. Now, this is one of those episodes where I was actually surprised at its popularity because because it's not the most well-known guest I've had. It may just be one of the most interesting. Uh, It's Ian Harvey. Now, Ian Harvey is a transgender actor and comic who was just the sweetest, kindest person. And I think that's all I'm going to say. Just Merry Christmas. Get excited. The next upcoming holiday, which is January 1st, 2020, you will be listening to the new focus of the show, which is all about creatives launching their projects. So until then, this is Ian Harvey. So excited about my guest sitting here on my couch. I've got Ian Harvey here. Thanks for having me here. I'm so excited you're here. Let's do the double backup recorder. And and it's interesting because as you were just talking, we were just talking about your friend who does energy work. Mm-hmm. And you said to me, she's had all these different lives. She has. She's had probably 15 different lives. But what's interesting to me about that is right before that, we were talking about our mutual friend, Amy Dresner. Yes. And you said she's had, we both said she's had so many lives. Yeah. And you had said you only sort of knew one. Yes. Or one sort of genre of her life. But let's talk theme because it is such a theme of recovery. How many different lives have you had? I've probably had uh, at least a dozen. Do you think? Yeah. Yeah. Um, My early life was um, dreaming of being an an artist, uh, musician, um, but I was too lazy to practice. Um, what kind did you want to be? Uh, I played guitar and sang terribly mm-hmm. um, and basically like covered songs. I never really wrote any of my own songs. I would just wasn't, I didn't feel like I was, I felt I was like, oh, everything's already been written about, so I'll just play other people's songs. And that was just my excuse or my block. Fear. From trying to you know, yeah. be creative and write something. And I, I remember in college, I did get hurt hard enough and deep enough that I wrote one song. Um, and it was because I accidentally burned down my f- best friend's dorm room by accident. Like I was smoking cigarettes. I had put the cigarette out in her ashtray in her dorm room. This was when that shit was allowed. Yeah. And um, uh, we went out into Boston like shopping for like the afternoon. And uh, we came back and the fire department was surra- had surrounded her dorm. And we're like, well, it can't be you, can't be yours, whatever. It right. turned out it was. And I had dumped the ashtray before we left. Ah. And um, so she didn't. She never spoke to me again. Everybody knew it was you. Well, 
The fire department interviewed everybody that had been in the room. Did you know when you saw the fire, you're like, this is me? No. I okay. Didn't know. I had no idea. Okay. In fact, they interviewed and sort of questioned everybody who had been in that room in the, like the last 24 hours kind of thing. And it was like a big party room and like yeah. everybody was smoking in there. Everybody was like doing whatever. But um, I, I, they were, the fire department was like, so um, was anybody smoking in here? We're like, yes, a bunch of people were, but we always use the ashtray. Like no one like flicks butts anywhere, you know? And then um, I said, I think I emptied the ashtray. And basically they were like, all right, it's wrapped up. We yeah, yeah, yeah. Here, you know? Yeah. And, you know, I, I to to my to my lame defense, there was a a giant life size poster, one of those vertical posters of James Dean in a you know in a girls' college dorm. Yeah. Um, and there was a wall there was a wall plug behind the poster, and her roommate had plugged in her like blow dryer through the poster and uh, into the wall. Yeah. And it, it was like left. It was like left that way. So. But the ashtray that I dumped was right by, in the wastebasket, right by that. And so I, it's like, they said it started over in this corner. It was the hottest over in this corner. They measured those temperatures, whatever. But I just took, I took the blame. I, I, I said, it's most likely that, you know. Yeah. Um, so I took the blame and I went downstairs after that. And she, my friend Julie said to me, you know, she's like, what, you know, what, what did you, uh, what did you say? What did they ask you? And I told her and she was like, are you fucking kidding me? And I think that was like the last words I ever heard out of her mouth. Wow. And so I was so upset that I upset her because she lost a lot of things like family photos that yeah. she brought to school with her, um, you know, personal items that she just can't get back, you know. And um, her parents were also in the middle of a move from Michigan to Florida. So they mailed her all her shit. Oh, my God. So all her shit was in her room. Her roommate lost a bunch of stuff, too, but her roommate didn't have all her personal items there. And so anyway, uh, I think. She, I think the last words were like, you're fucking kidding me kind of thing. And then not, never again. So I, I wrote my own original song about that whole thing back then. I don't even remember the words to it. But I, I think I think I maybe remember the the chorus, which was so, you know, trite at the time. But um, it was something like burn this, burn this deep down. Something about like the in reference to the fire. Like if it, it, it felt I felt I felt equally as bad as she did losing her things at, for having done it to her. Yeah. And being 18 years old, you don't, nobody, like, all I could think about was her and her hurt and how hurt I was that I hurt her. So back to the musician artist thing. Yeah. Um, that was like the only probably original song that I, serious one that I ever wrote. I've written jokey ones as a comic. Like, yeah. You know, stupid stuff, but but it's not my not my genre. So, but I wanted it to be at some point, and um, so that was probably like my first first life was wanting to be uh, an artist musician, and I didn't know that I was meant to be one in another genre. Right. Um, but I went on to do other things. I went on to do like um, I was a line cook in a deli. I was. Is this um, all on the East Coast? Yeah, all back in Maine. Where, okay, so where did you go to school in Boston? So I went to college in Boston for a year. Mm -hmm. I didn't go back after that. Wow, yeah. Um, one because, uh, so so my drinking was so heavy at that time, and I didn't know who I was. I didn't I didn't know that I was actually in love with my best friend from college. I just thought she was my best friend, you know. Like Not it, Julie. Yes, Julie. Oh yeah. wow. Okay. So, but I didn't know that's what it was. Like I right. had all like I, throughout high school and beginning of um, 
And for a little context, I'm trans. So I was right. born a girl. I was going to a girl's college. Wellesley? Felt, no, I went to LaSalle. In, I, mean, uh, I don't know that school. LaSalle and Newton. Um, it's just like a mile from BC. Yeah. And um, kind of like between Wellesley and and B- BC. Okay. And um, in Newton. And I, um, you know what? Like I, I didn't understand who I was. I didn't understand my sexuality or my orientation, my gender, anything. But I knew that there was like something going on for me huge. Um, but I was falling in love with like all of my best girlfriends. Right. Um, and through high school, like my, you know, my best girlfriends in high school, same story. Um, and so all of that, like, like fed into my drinking. It's not why I drank, right? of course, but it definitely fed that, that, that desire to like squelch out the static and, and all of that noise that I couldn't figure out what it was. So I didn't go back after that first year after I burned Julie's yeah. room down, yeah. uh, you know, like all of that stuff. I just never um, sort of recuperated. But I also was uninvited back by the dean if I was going to continue my drinking. For that? No, for for my drinking. Oh, okay. So okay, okay. I, after my first semester, I was invited to the dean's office. Yeah. And she said, listen, uh, if you... Um, if you continue to miss classes, I think I went to maybe two that mm-hmm. first semester. She said, "If I will personally fucking buy your bus ticket home. And I was like, okay. So second semester, I uh, I went to every class and I left there with maybe a 0.9 GPA because I had gone to no classes yeah. the first semester. Second semester, I did average. So bring that down to yeah. like something really, a really shitty average. But my drinking was so out of control. I went home. I never went back to college. Julie never spoke to me again. And I went on to try to figure out who I was. Um, and I thought that once I figured out that I was queer, I was like, oh, I'm done. like, oh, yeah, you figured it out. You got figured, the answer. I got it. I, I, you know, finally could like peel back the layers, understand. Yeah. But my drinking continued. And I really thought that it would help remedy that whole situation that I would things would clear up for me. But the truth is, like, I was obsessed with you know, booze from the time that I was like six or seven years old watching adults drink. Right. I couldn't wait to get a drink in me. And not because of my gender, not because of my sexuality, but because I, it it just looked amazing to me. And did, did your parents drink? No, no. Okay, so you were just seeing it in movies or? Oh, soap operas. I was yeah. obsessed with soap operas. Days of they, our lives. Yeah, actually, all my children, all my children, One Life to Live in General Hospital all in a row. Oh, interesting. Days ABC. was mine. Yeah. But they always had a cocktail in their yeah, hand, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, that that highball of scotch or whatever, you know, just to, just always like, t- even like, you know, with their own, like hammering their own ice, you know? Right. Like, you know, like <laughs> making a cocktail, that doctor who was like, uh, I don't know, just, it just constantly was always on, and I was obsessed with that kind of stuff. Be, so before it ever touched my lips, I couldn't wait for it. So it wasn't until I was about 10 years sober that I realized that, you know, yes, all of these things that were going on in my life and my trying to figure out my sexuality, my gender, my orientation, all that kind of stuff, that whole sexuality umbrella, did I realize that that just fueled what was already in me. Right, right. Like it's genetic for me. Like my three out of four of my grandparents are alcoholics. Um, it skipped my parents and and not to say that they don't have their own isms, but it, the, but the al- the desire for alcohol they just don't have that and they, you know like even today like it's so rare to like see even a bottle of wine in their fridge or on the counter like it's so rare it's like wait what's happening like what what event ha- you know yeah it, like, it has to be big thing. and you have siblings you have brothers is that right two brothers and a sister my sister joined our family when we were 
uh, in high school. So she was my best friend in high school. One another, yet another one of those ones that, that you were in love with. Love yeah. With. Um, but she um, had a really tough time at home. There was some like bad stuff happening with like stepdad, just what you think. Yeah. You know? And um, she uh, she came into school one day and said, you know, uh, my stepdad just tr did try to do something to me. And uh, and I said, what the fuck? And uh, I told my parents about it. My parents went to court with her mom and got custody of her. Was her mom objecting? No. Wow. Uh, wow. So she came to live with us the last couple of years of high school. So she's my sister. And um, and when your family gets together, she's a part of it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Always. Wow. Yeah. And um, she's awesome. So she's not genetically my sister. So she's not predisposed genetically yeah. to, to our yeah. family's history of alcoholism and addiction. But um, but my two brothers are have definitely have like their own things going on with yeah. it. One of my brothers is in recovery, um, and the other is not. And uh, but we all have this little thing going on. Yep. So. And so you, so you're obsessing over at eight or nine. You drink around twelve. Is that when? No, I I drank 10? around eight or nine. How'd you do it? Boys in the neighborhood were stealing booze from their parents. parents yeah, and the neighborhood consisted of houses surrounding a field on a lake. This um, is Maine. This is Maine. It's out in the middle of nowhere. It's quintessential uh, Stand by Me, Stephen yeah. King. Yeah, just like that. Like out in the boonies. Um, it's the seventies. Everybody just thinks that nothing bad can happen. Right. So until something bad happens, yeah. to like you hear how Jimmy, you know, drowned or whatever. But we lived on a pond um, across the field from us were um, three families. Um, and one of the families had two really little kids. The other families had kids about our age and older siblings. And their older siblings were stealing booze putting it in like mason jars, just mixing it all together. Yeah, and that disgusting way. And we way. would go out into the middle of the field, set up tents and like camp for the night kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And I, when they busted out that stuff, no, none of the older guys were looking at any of us little ones going, yeah, you should probably skip this for right now. Right. There's like, they, it was humorous to see a little kid drink yeah. and get hammered off two sips, you yeah. know what I mean? So, um, but I was, I was I was set from then on. It was something that I sought. Yeah, yeah. Um, so and it, it's really upsetting to my mother because she's like, "Well, where were we?" And I'm like, "It was the '70s. It was different then. It really was. They just let us run yeah, around. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, um, so yeah, that was my first uh, like my first experience with drinking, and and you know, like you know, sitting up on like, the two the two post fence, you know, sitting up on the top rung and you know, falling over backwards and hitting my head and nobody really thinking anything of it, like passing right, out. And, right. Um, so it was, it, it, I mean, that's the, that's really the worst of it that happened back then. But, um, but my desire to drink didn't go away. It didn't, it didn't, it didn't quiet any of it. It really just accelerated it. And by high school, I was like every weekend, but I had rules. I had rules like I wouldn't go to I wouldn't go to school drunk or right. drink at school. Right, because yeah, that would mean you had a problem or something. That you'd be a loser if you yeah. did that. Right? Yeah. Um, but I just did it every night that I possibly could and every weekend. And my yeah. parents went away regularly to do these like really sweet things like called marriage encounter weekend where they taught other couples how to write love letters to each other. Oh I know it sounds so hippie right? Um, and sweet. And so they would go away and like teach other couples how to have like like sort of rekindle their marriage and mm -hmm. not because their marriage was bad to make a good marriage better kind of thing. And so they would go for away from like Friday to Sunday and like we'd have these raging parties. Yeah. And uh, my oldest brother 
tended to be in charge, but he was a little bit a part of what we were doing, but yeah. not as not really the not really as much more the social kind of stuff. Or, was he is he the one in recovery? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he he didn't really have a say anyway because I would just do what I wanted. Yeah. Um. So I think he just his responsibility was to make sure that nobody died. Um, but we would move all the furniture out of my parents' house into the garage and have a band in the living room and, <laughs> and you know, like have a massive rager and cars up and down the street. And this is a different location than where I, where I grew up, we had moved, but so it just it, it accelerated from there, go off to college, just continued in, into that, you know, massive drinking binge. And then my, my first trip through recovery was when I was 21, someone who was a friend of mine in Portland. I was living um, with a girlfriend at the time in Portland. It's like one of my first sort of girlfriends that I'd moved in with. Mm -hmm. and it was like very exciting time, but my drinking made it very unexciting. Mm -hmm. um, and I was just wasted all the time. And I had this friend who was sober. I knew she was sober, but I didn't know what that meant. Mm -hmm. um, you know, sober to me back then was like, oh, like maybe you just don't drink hard stuff, which right. a lot of people <laughs> identify sober with. No, yeah. sober is you don't drink anything, asshole. Um, they're like, yeah, I don't drink. I mean, I drink beer once in a while. No, that that you drink. Um, or they think you mean sober right now. Yeah, yeah right, I'm sober right. too. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's a good one. <laughs> yeah. So this friend of mine, um, Meg, um, really saved my life, introduced me to, to recovery. And, and she... She called me one day. I was on the what I used to call a third day of a hang of my hangover, but it was really alcohol poisoning. And mm -hmm. I again, not until like ten years in, did I realize that that was a thing. Mm -hmm. And uh, so she called me on my third day of this hangover, alcohol poisoning, and I, um, she said, uh, she said, "Hey, I'm on my way to a meeting right now. Uh, would you want to go with me?" And I was like, "What?" And again, because it takes a long time for the fog to lift. It was probably five or maybe even 10 years in again that I really thought for the longest time that she was psychic. Like, mm -hmm. how would she know? <laughs> how could she possibly know right. that I might want to? What Would she right. just like randomly call me one day? No, she had watched me as yeah. my friend, Yeah, you know, for several years in the community struggling. And she just said, hey, you know, would you consider going to a meeting? And I said, yes. And so in that moment, I really thought she was psychic. Mm -hmm. Really, all she needed was eyeballs yeah. to know yeah. that I might need a meeting or I might need to get sober. So I went, I had that, you know, that spiritual experience of like hearing someone say, and I don't know if you know this, in Portland, Maine is where the chip club started. No, what yeah. do you mean the chip club? Where the, they started giving yeah, any th yeah, chips out? Yeah, so the chip club started in Portland, Maine. Who knew that was even a thing? I know, the chip right? Club. Yeah. Well, the chip when you when you you get a white chip, new coming back. Yeah. You know, Thirty days, red chip, whatever. So yeah, so that started in uh, in uh, in Maine, in Portland, Maine. But I, so I'm in this big giant meeting, and someone got up at the beginning. They did the chips at the beginning. They're like, they mm -hmm. said, if you are new or coming back, mm -hmm. we'd like to. We don't want to single you out. We want to welcome you in. So mm. if you would like to come up and get a white chip and something about that phrasing, I was like, that is so nice. Yeah. I am getting up and my body rose and I walked up to the front, I got a white chip and it's really weird. I looked around the room on my way back to my seat and I saw so many people that I knew that I didn't know that were sober. Mm -hmm. And I was like, oh, oh, you're, oh, you are. And you are, and I was like, oh, huh. Well, this this can't be too bad or too culty or too whatever I had, you know, yeah. preconceived ideas. and uh, Jesus-y. So I uh, I stayed for two years, seven months, and twenty three days, and I relapsed on a relationship. Uh huh. Um, 
one night, went back, stayed sober two months, went out one night, and then I've been sober 24 and a half years since. Wow. So, so this time, 24. This time, yeah. yeah. Um, God willing, you'll yeah. have 24. And we'll see. What's your sober date? It's uh, November 26, 1992. We are the same sign. I am November 19th, 2000. Oh, really? Yes, I don't know what that makes so us. So cool. Um, That's very cool. Um, you know what's interesting that you, that you just said about how you went in and you saw these familiar faces? It's interesting because I feel like there are so many people out there who don't go because they're scared they're going to see people they know. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Yeah, but you know what? I do know. I totally know what you mean. But for me at that time, I was so desperate that it was actually really comforting. Yeah. I was like, oh, I'm not the only one. Help yeah. you, you know, that was really relieving to me. Yeah. yeah, I think I felt the same way, but it's interesting people think they're gonna get, somebody just said this to me last week, they think they're gonna get busted. And I'm like, no, 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 they're there too. Well, the other the other side of that is busted because if you go there anonymously and and don't stay, then no one there's no accountability to anybody else's eyes that saw you there. Yeah. So if you go there and you know no one, then you can go back out and quietly. You yeah. Know, but if you see somebody there, you now are sort of visibly accountable to someone that you know. Right. That you are in this room with them. So there's something about that that you know it's not just that you're 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 caught, but it will ruin your drinking after that. Seeing someone else that you know, I know. and maybe you don't want that ruined. Yeah, that's interesting. I'd never thought about it like but. that. I wonder, I mean, I, I had a one night, I went out one night and it did ruin that. But I don't know what it's like to kind of have, you know, the head full of AA and the belly full of booze, as they say. Yeah. No, just, uh, you know what, just on the two nights that I went out over those two months, like, so. Wait, 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 so you were out for two months, so but no, it was. No, 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 like I went out one night. Yeah. Was sober two months, went out one more night. Oh, I did. Okay. Wow. And now I've been sober 24 years. Bad nights. So, those two nights. Yeah. But they were, it was the two nights were two months apart. Yeah. And, but each time it was that it was even one night. Yeah. It was ruined. Yeah. I could. I was like, oh. I know. You, you just know? know too much. I knew exactly what I was doing. I and, know. Yeah. And uh, no excuses. Just, uh, yeah. I just, I, I remember sitting in a, I was upset. I was sitting in a bar. My brother was there. Um, and and I ordered a beer and he was standing next to me and he was like, hey, uh, what are you doing? Mm -hmm. I'm like, don't worry, it's cool. I'm, I'm, I'm better now. Mm -hmm. <laughs> he mm -hmm. didn't know, yeah. you know, he didn't know. And I was like, I talked, I just talked circles around him until he would shut up about it. Yeah. And, and it, here's the thing, like when people are that committed in their head, it's like no one can stop them. But also, don't you find, I don't know about you, but I'm an amazing storyteller, like for myself, but for other people, I can convince people of almost anything. Oh, yeah. Like oh, I yeah. can convince friends that World's someone's a terrible person. Liars, yes. But it's just like, I'm, I believe it so much that that's really like, I can just spin it however I want. Yeah, you know? yeah, oh yeah, I have that ability too. Even today, I do. Oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, it doesn't go away. I just consider it like, it's like, it's now, it's not about like I'm not using it now so I can get away with, you know, bullshit. I actually channel it now into like creative arts, like lying on stage as a comic, you know, yeah. like or that creative license to exaggerate or talk circles around people or, you know, it's it's not to do harm now. Right. Yeah. 
Did um okay, and so did you always want to be a comic after after this I'm gonna be a musician thing faded? No, it took me a while to get there. Um I was I was a web developer, um, started a web development company. I worked in a I worked in a publishing company and then uh back in nineteen ninety five, nineteen ninety six, and someone said, Hey, this web thing's gonna be big, we think. Um, will you take over the alternative weekly newspapers website, which I had to learn HTML code? Mm-hmm to do and I did and then I was like I do think this web thing is going to be big and so I started a web development company in 1996 and I was going out sort of door to door convincing people that the web was going to be big and people were just like no I don't know I don't know about this whole that's that's crazy and um, I I still own the company Um, I still it's a it's it's primarily a hosting company now are you a extremely wealthy internet multi-millionaire I'm not, sitting on my I'm couch not. no i am not but you no. got in at a time that you would think but, yeah. but I, i'm not a business person right I don't, I'm, I'm a bad business person i probably should have at the time started the hosting company in 1996 yeah i did not start it probably until 2000 mm-hmm. so by then like all these major Everybody yeah knew. and they were like residual income like monthly income someone paying you for you know that that space and now that space is now called the cloud and people are selling cloud you know whatever yeah. it's so crazy but um that like i just didn't think i, just, I wasn't a, a good business person mm-hmm. um in that in that regard like basically I, I wanted to like be creative and design websites and in order to do that at the time i had to start my own business because no one else was doing mm-hmm. that for me to work for somebody else there weren't any other companies at that time oh, were you still in maine i was mm-hmm. and um so anyway fast forward to now I still own the company um I have and I build sites for friends mm-hmm. on the side but I don't like I, if someone's like hey can you what yes but like I don't really take like new clients like off the street kind of thing it's right. only by I think I've probably done three websites in the last three years did you do your own I was just on it I did yeah it's a lovely yeah. site oh thanks yeah I mean it's basic but yeah it like does your work trick, so um <laughs> yeah and so, okay, and so then you start to say, how do you, when do you make your way to LA and all of that? So I was in my WebSmith uh, company mm-hmm. and I'm sitting up, uh, my mail comes through the mail slot in this, uh, this big uh, artist building where I had my offices and um, the mail comes in as a postcard and it was like, hey, learn to write stand-up comedy, comedy workshop at the local comedy club. And I let that postcard sit on my um, my desk for probably three weeks, two, mm-hmm. three weeks. And um, I was interested in it, but I was afraid. And I rem- this is what kind of prompted me to do it, I to call the guy. I remembered that when I was a kid, we used to put on shows for our parents and our <laughs> aunts and uncles, as everybody, mm-hmm. most everybody that I know does. And I would always come out in the intermission and do stand-up and write jokes. And I wrote jokes Cute. that were horrible they made no sense whatsoever but that was the funny part too the adults was like this is absolutely horrible but it's funny because it's horrible and so um i remembered that i would come out and i would also do impressions of other comedians and the only other comedian that i knew at that time was an impressionist named richard little Mm -hmm. i don't know if you know who rich little is so so rich little i think he's still working in vegas um but i would do impressions of him doing impressions of Richard Nixon, mm-hmm. like just ridiculous stuff <laughs> right. in the intermission. So I remembered that about myself and I was like, you know what? Like maybe that's something, maybe, I don't know, like I would love to do that. Like, I, I don't know. So I called the guy, he's like, yeah, I got one spot left. And uh, which is a great sales tool, by the way. Amazing. Yeah, you're like, yes, I want it. One spot and I'm yeah. not sure if I can give it to you. Yeah, right, That's even right. better. You're yeah. like, I need it, I gotta give it to me, yeah. yeah. So 300 bucks 
and I did seven weeks, eighth, eighth week, um, you do a live performance. But those seven weeks, you practice joke writing structure. You bring in your own material, you rip and read on, on stage in front of your classmates. And by the end, you have to have a solid five minutes for a graduation show. Mm -hmm. um, and I did that and I loved it so much. Best drug I ever did. Mm -hmm. And um, I mean, you were sober at this point? I was, mm -hmm. yeah. And so, um, and since then, my rule in sobriety and doing stand-up is I never, I don't cancel gigs. Mm -hmm. I don't not show up when, and which recovery taught me this. It's yep. like, you show up if you say you're gonna show up. Mm -hmm. And I do have this this button in my head that I wanna hit the cancellation button all the time. Mm -hmm. I had a thing yesterday, I had an acting class yesterday. Mm -hmm. I wanted to cancel it. I you're wanted, teaching it or you're in it? No, I'm in it. Okay. And, um, I, and I'm like, oh, I'm petrified to go. Yeah. Um, but I, once I'm there, I have a friggin' blast. Right. But like, there's that thing that like, you know, like, so I don't let myself say no to myself mm -hmm. anymore, especially mm -hmm. if I know it's something that I, I signed up for it. Yeah, I yeah, yeah. sought it out. Yeah. You know, I'm paying for it. Like, why am I, why am I going to self-sabotage in this moment and not go? And there is, I don't know if it's related to like necessarily to my addiction as much as it is to my recovery. Yep. That like, it's. It's my, like, listen, you clearly want this for yourself. What is going on with you? Don't say, don't, I'll tell you, the every time before when I was using, when I said no, it was always followed by a million other no's. Mm-hmm. Meaning, like, I, if I, it was a spiral. Like, if I said no to, to this one up here, then I gave myself permission to slide even further down and further down and say no to everything. And so I never finished anything. Mm -hmm. I never accomplished anything. I never got anywhere. I never created anything. And so my rule today is I just don't, I don't allow myself to push that button. That's so interesting because it's also, I think, probably applicable in, addi in addiction and alcoholism when you say yes, like, yes, I'll like, I had a rule that I won't drink during the week, but okay, yes, I will. Or I had a rule, like it's easier to say yes to the next line that you thought mm -hmm. you'd never cross. Mm -hmm. Do you yeah. know what I mean? Oh, yeah. I just heard a thing on NPR yesterday. This is sort of obvious, but it's a, some study that like, it's the same thing with lying. That like, it's once you lie once, it's that yeah. much more, it's yeah. that much easier to keep doing well, it. Well, yes can be a spiral down too. Yeah. You know, um, I mean, either word can be a spiral down. But for me, like I just, Today, I just think, okay, like, why do you want this for yourself? Why, in the long run, what do you want to get out of it? What, what, like, very quickly try to just get myself back into the mode of why I wanted it rather than I don't right. want it. Right. Um, things like, I don't know, things like that, like acting scares the bejesus out of me. I don't know what I'm doing, you know? Like, I've done a few things, but I'm so petrified that I don't know what I'm doing. And then I have to remember that nobody knows what the fuck they're doing. Yep. Everybody's faking it. We're improving right now. Yep. Everybody's improving. Yep. Even if you have the lines memorized, you're still improving right. what is about to happen. Like you're trying to capture a moment and the soul of something. So like I don't know. Like I like what am I afraid of? Everybody's faking it. Yeah. Everybody. So yeah. like I go to the that's where I try to that's what I try to access and stop like telling myself all the the scary stuff and mm -hmm. that you know everybody's in the same boat and i i you know what that's what i've done with my transness too like really i think everybody's trans like, you do i look around and i just think everybody's struggling with their masculinity their femininity their gender every day and yeah. if they're not then they're the fucking weirdo not me. I, yeah i read something that you yeah. said about that even with body yeah that's where i related yeah. to it 
I mean, if you, I, I, nobody's 100% comfortable with their body. Yeah. Nobody is. Because we're these like souls walking around in these flesh suits. Like, but, how could we be? But if you think about it, you can take whatever weird thought you have about your body and you can draw a line back to that continuum or spectrum or whatever you want to call it about masculinity and femininity and where we are told we're supposed to be mm-hmm. and what we bought out of that those, mm-hmm. that garbage that we're fed. You know, mm-hmm. what part of that crap that did we buy? And so, and it almost indefinitely has to do with masculinity or femininity in some level or, mm-hmm. or, or not wanting to be either, you know, of those things. Mm-hmm. Like, so where do we fall in that spectrum in this moment right now? And if you are not in discomfort with some sort of thought about your body, then you're the fucking weirdo because mm-hmm. everybody else that I know is struggling mm-hmm. with something. Mm-hmm. So, I used to think when I first understood who I was, oh my God, I'm the only one, even though I had trans guy friends, trans lady friends, and or non-conforming friends. And so I thought, oh, then we're the only ones. And I started, I moved to LA mm-hmm. in 2006. Mm-hmm. And I was like, are you shitting me? <laughs> everybody here is trans. Like mm-hmm. everybody is like walking around, like struggling with body stuff, mm-hmm. especially here. I mean, this is a plastic surgery capital of the country. So mm-hmm. do you, I just started aligning myself with people. And it's kind of like the, my journey into recovery too. Like before I stopped drinking, I thought nobody understands me. Nobody feels the way I do. And so glug, 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 glug. Right. Nobody feels this way. I'm like the, you know, the only one. And then I got into recovery and I met all kinds of other people that were also struggling. And I was like, oh, I'm going to stop misaligning myself and look around me and see all the people who are also struggling with this. And I feel the same way about gender. Like, so I, I stopped thinking that I'm the only one or just the people that I knew were the only ones. And now I just think that everybody has this thing. And so when did you start transitioning? I started like, I I knew I've known for probably 16 years Mm -hmm. um, that, but I didn't have the words for it before then until I met my first trans guy. Mm -hmm. And I was like, oh my God, that's me. Oh my God, oh my God, oh my God. That's it, that's it. That's the thing that's been nagging. That's the thing. And then, it took me a long time to get to that place of like, okay, if I do this, will I stroke my mother out? Mm. No, actually, I'm not going to mm-hmm. stroke my mother out. But I definitely thought, you know, like for the first time I was thinking of others instead mm-hmm. of myself. And that actually, like I had to work on my own codependency issues right. at that point. You know, and go, okay, I could make others uncomfortable and make myself happy or I could be uncomfortable myself and make others happy. So did I say that right? Yeah, yeah, anyway, yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. And uh, so I just, I, I spent five years in therapy talking about it. Um, and then I came out to my parents um, and my friends. I came out to my friends first and then my parents because I needed that support before I told my parents. And then um, I, so that was probably um, two, that was, yeah. I'm trying to think of like the number. So I've been doing stand-up for 15 years is how, this is like my mm-hmm. map backwards. So I've been doing stand-up for 15 years. I was Ian on stage when I first got on stage although I wasn't, hadn't physically did my sort of medical transformation, like mm-hmm. take hormones and chest surgery. So I so I didn't do that until about eight years ago. Okay. Um, but I'm fully cooked now. Yeah. You can see. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like, I get it. You know, I see like it. I definitely, uh, like there's sort of no, um, other than probably my socialization and my spirit, um, you know, being sort of male and female, um, and maybe um, it's funny, like I'm definitely pegged as queer, mm-hmm. um, but 
I'm d not pegged as anything other than a guy. Right. Um, but there was like kind of like a, for me, I'm looking in your mirror over there. There was like a, there was definitely like an awkward, my own personal awkward phase of like being on stage performing and beginning my transition, taking hormones and looking like a young boy to sort of like, I don't know, in my own words and not bad. I'm not using saying these words and to, to be degrading to myself, but um, there was kind of like a weird, awkward mm -hmm. um, sort of boy, like boy girl with sideburns, mm -hmm. like like mm -hmm. having a chest and uh, and sideburns mm -hmm. and facial hair starting to come in. And so there was definitely like for me, and I don't say this about anybody else, but it, for me, it felt like an in-between place. Mm -hmm. um, and, uh, and then I had chest surgery and um, hormones started to take a bigger effect and a full beard came in and which I love and it's actually very kind of hard stuff. for me to picture you uh, looking like a woman. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, I mean, that's, I'm, you know, it's, that's the, that's the thing that people are always sort of um, amazed by. Yeah. Um, and I get, I get that because it's like, it's not every day that you meet somebody who has had been, been so visibly different. Yeah. I get that. I get that. Um, and it's interesting because people are like, think that you sort of become this different person and you're not, you're the right. same person, you're the same human being you were before. Right. Um, you just might be a little bit more comfortable now. Yeah. And I'll tell you, it's like, it, add that on top of my recovery, like being happy in recovery and actually getting to have the body that I want and um, that I feel comfortable in. And although like I still walk past a mirror and go, what the fuck, you know, like oh, naked really? out of the shower, naked out of the shower, you know, you're like, what the, uh, you know, like, is it like waking up from a dream? You're like, huh? No, but it's, it's just like, oh, right. Yeah. Like that's, that's me. There you are. Um, because, you know, I, I, it's, you know, I, I do look like a guy, um, but stripped down, you know, to nothing and just out of the shower, like, you know, there's definitely some things <laughs> that look different. Like yeah. I have faint chest surgery scars like you can't see them that much but to me it's like i see it yeah you know? i still see it but um but i but i do think that that's part of that sort of remnant discomfort that everybody has mm -hmm. i don't think it's um i'm probably 95 percent better feeling than i was before wow like feeling more authentic feeling like i look like what i'm supposed to look like what i always imagined what i always felt like on the inside um, but put that together with recovery and I feel, I feel near unstoppable. And, okay, so tell me, so, so you start to, you're at, you were out about everything. You're out about being sober. You're out about trans. You're mm -hmm. out, and so, and that's, and so you're doing comedy. You did this tour with Amy Dresner and yeah, Felon. Felon. Yep. And, and then when did Transparent come about? So. And how? Um. I was I, I was asked by uh, a friend. His name is Reese Ernst. He's also a, another trans guy, and um, he messaged me on Facebook and email and said, "Hey, we're looking for background actors for this pilot. Would you consider being part of this therapy circle scene?" Blah blah blah. And I said, "Yeah, sure." So I went. We filmed it over on the West Side, and it was Jill came in, Jill Soloway came in, and sat down with everybody that was in the therapy circle, being supporting background to Mora doing her. Uh, monologue and she's Jill sat us down and she said I want you to know that this story is about my parent mm -hmm. um, and it's it's uh, derived from that obviously it's not going to be to the letter but um, but it was inspired by my parent um, coming out and telling me that they were trans and genderqueer and so this is coming from a very real place for me 
and I really want to tell this story and I don't want you to think that I'm just trying to um, objectify and, you know, uh, basically just like shared her story with us and her experience with her parent. And so a bunch of people um, went up to her afterwards and um, I I just had this moment of like, you know, it, it just kind of felt like, I don't know, maybe she was being bombarded a little bit on that day. People were very excited about mm-hmm. this show and nothing, we'd never heard anything like that. So um, I kind of quietly um, left and I, I didn't know this, but she was um, following me on Twitter. And so I messaged her on Twitter and just said, thank you, um, when does the pilot come out kind of thing. And um, she said, uh, we're not sure yet exactly, but it will be in, in the winter, excuse me. And um, she said, um, would you would you be interested in coming into the writer's room? We wanna to talk to you some, about something. And this was probably November, late November of um, three years ago. Mm-hmm. 2000, whatever. 14. Okay. So she said, and this was, the pilot had been written, they had filmed the pilot, and I think they were working on storylines and stuff for the season if they got greenlit. So I said, I'm traveling right now, I'm actually going to Germany to screen a film that I did, and um, she's like, I'm going to Germany, where are you gonna be? So we tried to actually meet in Germany, but we were like four cities apart. She was like on one end and I was on the other. And uh, I just said, I, I can't take another train. I'm so sorry. Mm-hmm. Um, I had been performing and screening a film and I was just exhausted. So she said, how about when you get back? I said, okay. So I went to the writer's room in January. Um, when I got back after the holidays, back in LA, everybody's back at it. And um, all the writers were there. She was there. Her sister was there. Um, her sister Faith and all the great writers of Transparent, and so I and uh, she just tell us your story, and so um, I told my story, but I also infused it with some humor and mm-hmm. um, and some jokes, and then she said at the end, you know, I we we're writing a storyline about the youngest daughter Allie Pfefferman, and um, that she has a love interest of a guy who's trans, and really I want you to play this guy, and I was like, what? Um, and so. At that moment, I said, you know what? Listen, I'm scared. And she said, what are you scared of? I said, I haven't acted in a long time, and, and I, which I didn't tell her, which she's probably read at some point because I've said it a dozen times or a couple dozen times by now, is that I hadn't acted since the eighth grade. So, so a few years. I was like, you know, I'm, I've been a little bit nervous. I haven't acted in a while like <sighs> since the eighth grade. And uh, so she said, um, well, what if I made it safe for you? And I said, I'm interested. Mm-hmm. And uh, she had me do an acting workshop with the whole cast. And then I had a show at the Wiltern with Tig Notaro, uh, Reggie Watts, Zach Galifianakis, and Pat Oswald. Mm-hmm. I was hosting this show. There was a big benefit. Amazing, yeah. And she brought a bunch of the Amazon executives to see me at the show. I did the work, the acting workshop, and then she texted me like the day after the acting workshop. And um, I didn't get it. I was driving. She calls and she says, did you get my text message? And I said, no, what? And she said, you got the part. And I was like, what? Oh my God, oh my God, that's so amazing. I got to pull over. I was with my girlfriend and my girlfriend's mother and pulled over. We were on our way to American Idol nice. <laughs> to, to watch for yeah. her mom to see. And I pulled over. I'm like, I'm like, I can't even believe this. I can't mm-hmm. believe this. She said, she said, it's so exciting. I said, I won't let you down. She said, you know what? I won't let you down. Right, right. And I was like, what? That is crazy to me. That to me, I've just never, I don't know if I've heard anything like that in LA before. Yeah. And so the experience, if you can imagine her, someone, in the biz saying that the experience on set was exactly the same way. It just, it definitely, um, you know, 
from the top down, like she set the tone for that that set and what it's like and what it's supposed to be like. And it was just really incredible. You know, it's interesting. I know Micah. Oh, yeah. And um, he did a Q&A. God, I, I know um, I, I'm playing. Why am I playing? Anyway, we're all in reboot. You know, Jill is in it, too. It's this like I mean, you're not even supposed to talk about it. It's this organization okay. for Choose in okay. L.A., San Francisco, New York. And they did a Q&A. They did a transparent Q&A where they talked about the writer's room um, and just how unusual and yeah. unique it is. Oh, yeah. They've done they've done um, like uh, they go away for like a week um, before the season starts and do a lot of like sort of um, sweat lodge kind of chanting and like all kinds of different sort of things to sort of access deeper parts of themselves to to write in um, their most authentic self and then they also do workshops with the actors before the season starts um, before they start filming and so it's a really like unconventional yeah. to what Hollywood is used to. But as you can see, it works really well. By the way, was Tig already on the show when you did the the benefit with her? I think so, because I think she and Jill are good friends. Yeah. Like, live in the same neighborhood. And um, so I think that she was written in as Barb already. Mm -hmm. I think. Pretty sure. And so what next? What are you working on now? We got to work towards wrapping it up. So let's get it. Um, let's tell them everything. Uh, I'm working on a script. I have a I have a writing mentor um, here in LA that, um, so Josh Pfefferman played by Jay Duplass. Yeah. Jay Duplass introduced me to one of his writers and um, called her um, his secret weapon. Mm -hmm. And um, she's really, really great. Her name's Mir. And um, Mir has been teaching me. I wrote a script. I gave it to Jay to read. Jay said, I'm gonna put you together with Mir. Mir and I have been meeting and she's teaching me basically writing structure because I don't know what the hell I'm doing. Mm -hmm. So I wrote this script about my life, about um, my relationships with a lot of, like a long sort of list of straight women mm -hmm. um, who thought that they could wrap their head around, you know, uh, me. And uh, so writing about that, um, and, and uh, screenwriting is just something new that was like, it's one of those things that like, I'm not even telling myself no about that. Like mm. I have no idea what I'm doing, but I just keep trying. Mm -hmm. um, I like to jump off things and get myself into like massive, a massive hole and like freak, figure my way out. Mm -hmm. um, so I also run um, a summer comedy camp in Maine uh, for comedy writers. And um, it started out as a comedy festival for stand-ups. And every year, it's the seventh year uh, this summer, and every year I have extended it by a day mm -hmm. and asked the comics to come earlier before they perform earlier and earlier and um, make them do things, literally jumping off cliffs into swimming holes on the side of mountains, um, zip lining down the side of a mountain. Um, Is this uh, inspired by how transparent does the writer's room? No, actually, it was in, it was sort of organic. Like I was just planning fun activities for the comics to um, to do. But what I realized that it also inspired them to write. And so the last last year that we did it, we made it not mandatory, but loosely sort of, you know, a requirement loosely that you have to write five new minutes while you're there. Mm -hmm. And at the end of the week, you perform it in the live shows that we do. So um, we've been doing that and I, I'll be doing that this summer. Um, I also, you know, like I'm, I'm actually, you know what, I'm about to, um, this summer I'm gonna do um, a tour with Lady Parts Justice, mm -hmm. which is Liz Winstead. She was, oh, yeah. yeah, do you know her? So she was- um, The writer on- Daily Show. Daily she was, Show. She was like co-creator yeah, of The Daily uh, Show. Yeah. 
So she has an organization called Lady Parts Justice, and they're doing um, reproductive rights fundraisers for um, places like Planned Parenthood, um, you know, community health centers and places like that all over the country. So I'm going to do 15 city tour with them this summer. Um, and uh, at all fundraisers and getting people to sign up to vote and actually next month i'm going to um in in actually mid-may i'm going to texas to do a fundraiser there um in fort worth but also they built a fence around the planned parenthood or the, the the community health center there that um offers um healthcare for women and there's been a lot of demonstrations there so they built a fence around it so i'm going to also help paint the fence wow um and help escort people into the center and um so anyway i'm just like running around doing whatever so i'm also i have tons of tour dates on my on my website on ianharvey.com so live performances auditioning for shows it's it's pilot season um writing um comedy camp like Sounds anything, so fun. Anything I can sort of oh, and home projects. I just built a deck at a home, Jesus so I'm Christ. handy. Um, I, there's lots That's of stuff that I do. Good to know. So yeah. I mean, I have some stuff around here that could get fixed. That's yeah. not true. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, and then if people want to find you, you're on Twitter, you're on yeah, Facebook, yeah. all that stuff. Um, well, I cannot thank you enough for doing this. This has been absolutely a pleasure for thank me. Thank you for having so, me. So thanks. We're gonna end. 